1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll go to verse number 1 in just a few moments, and uh, thank you very much. I thought I'd share these thoughts for you as we approach our World Missions Conference coming up here in just a few days, and I know you're already excited about it. I think our church is, and I'm excited about it as well, and thank you for your participation uh, on that. I'm, and 1 Corinthians, of course, is a book of the Bible. It's one of the largest letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, of course, it has 16 chapters divided for us in, the, in our Bible, but, but uh, the, he wrote one, one, uh, one letter that was just one chapter long, which was Philemon, just one chapter. This one was a, a longer, uh, and because he had a lot to cover. The church at Corinth was a very... Um, it was a very wicked city to begin with. You might remember when he went there. He went to the synagogue, and he didn't really talk about the Lord. And then when Silas and Timothy showed up in, Luke, in Acts chapter 18, he was uh, very, um, he was moved to like, okay, I need to start witnessing now. And by the way, when you get good brothers working with you, it encourages you, doesn't it? And I thank the Lord, and I think many hands make for light work. And when they showed up, he got encouragement. He preached to them, but boy, they... Uh, the Jews that were there threw a fit, and the guy next door got saved, and Crispus got saved, and some others uh, came to know the Lord next to the synagogue, and the, one, of the, one of the main guys, and a little family named Stephanus. They came to know Christ as their Savior, and uh, the church really grew. He stayed there a year and a half. He went there very nervous. He thought he, he had been beaten in Philippi. He had been ran out of Thessalonica. He had been ran out of, of Berea. He found himself in Athens. And no one heard him in Athens with sticks and stones, but they heard him with words. Remember what they said? Some believed and others mocked. And boy, some folks believed, but others made fun of him, made a joke out of him. And that probably hurt him. And he made his way from Athens down to Corinth, and he got there, and, and he was struggling. But that night, after being uh, booted out of the synagogue, and he, he joined, he went to the door, house next door, and he was there in that home, and that night, the Lord appeared to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. You know why he told him not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. He was afraid. He said, look, don't be afraid. He said, I want you to speak here. I want you to witness here. Because I got many people in this wicked city that need to hear the gospel. The darker the night... The brighter the light. Yeah, I got a lot of people here that need to hear the gospel, and a lot of people are going to get saved in this city. And he stayed there a year and a half, and nobody hurt him physically. He, God kept his promise. He's no one, no, no one laid a hand on him. It wasn't without some challenges. But he stayed there a year and a half, and a lot of people did come to know Christ. But when he left, they had some issues. They had issues with dissension and and division. They started fighting with each other. Who's the best preacher? Is it Paul? Is it Peter? Is it Apollos? Some of them says, I don't like them. I wish Jesus were here. You know, that was the kind of thing. They, they started picking and choosing who they, if he was preaching, they weren't coming to church. Baby stuff. Immature. Immorality. Someone was in the church. Everybody knew they were being immoral and they were, they were, they were being immoral with their stepmom and everybody knew it. And no one was checking it. And he said, look, that's, that's not going to happen. It needed to, be, needed to be dealt with. There were lawsuits. If they had a problem with one another, and rather than handle it in private, they would air it out in front of unsaved judges and jurors and plaintiffs and, and uh, ba bailiffs and things of that nature. And he said, look, man, couldn't you handle those things without doing that? You're two Christians. Get along. Don't, don't do that. Avoid that at all costs. There were abuse 
of the uh, spiritual gifts. And a lot of challenges inside this church. There, were, there was a party spirit. There was an abuse of Christian liberties. And a fellow knew a guy got saved, and he, uh, he used to worship false idols. And, and the meats that were there, another guy said, hey, it's cheap for me. I'm going to buy it. And he goes, well, it kind of hurts my feelings. Because you know, I remember how significant that was. I, go, I don't care. Man. I like it. I'm going to eat it. And he says, man, why can't you just uh, love each other enough not to hurt one another in the church? There was a lack of love in this church. There was the women were not dressing modestly. The men had long hair. He said, that's where we see, did not nature itself teach you that if you got long hair, you should, it should be a shame to you? And there he taught them how to, to, to talk to men. He said, man, cut your hair. Girls, live modestly. We wear clothes for protection. We wear it for, for uh, modesty. We wear it for testimony. And uh, may God help us to remember that and for distinction so that we, we can obviously, that's a man, that's a woman. Even bathroom signs figure that out. But it teaches some things about it. He said, that's where he covers that in this past scripture. He said, just, you guys are not, you're not following. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. Instead of making a, an ordinance that would remember Jesus, they were kind of having a potluck and then creating cliques within it. And it was really making the Lord upset. Paul, he gets on them about that. They were abusing the spiritual gifts. And tongues became a problem and prophecies. And everybody wanted to have a prophecy in the tongue. And it was the, tongues was the problem, but pride was the root. And it was a challenge. And he, he spends chapter uh, 12 and 13 and 14 telling them, here are the rules for it. Here's, what, here's one day they're not going to be needed. Say tongues are going to stop and prophecies are going to cease and and he says, you know, these knowledge, you won't need that one day because when the word of God has come, when the word of God is completed, then those baby talk things of tongues and, and, uh, and uh, knowledge and, and prophet, they will vanish away. You won't need that when you have a Bible. And you can read, when you're a child, you speak like a child. And the baby, the church was a child. The church was in its first few years and didn't have a, didn't have a Bible. But when the Bible would come, then when you're a child, you speak as a child. You talk as a child. You understand as a child. But when you're, a, when you're a man, you put away those childish things and you begin. Now you have a Bible in your hand. There's no need for extra biblical revelation. Uh, God is done talking. He said all he wants to say right here. You want to know what God says to you? Get in the Bible. The Holy Spirit will lead you through his word and through a relationship with the scriptures. But we don't need anybody to stand up and say, well, I've got extra revelation from God. God told me to tell. Well, probably he didn't do that. Uh, if he's going to tell you to do something, he'll tell you through his word. And impress us through his Holy Spirit. Then it will be a biblically found thing. Then, of course, they had false doctrines. And there's guys coming in teaching that the resurrection had already come. Alexander and Hymenaeus were two definitely revivalists that were not revivalists, but speakers that were very popular. And they were teaching that the rapture had already come and there was no real resurrection. And that's where Paul gives us the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The gospel is and Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. And he tells them, man, don't you understand that evil communications corrupt good manners? He said, beware, be careful who you listen to, because what you hear will affect how you live. What you hear affects what you believe. What you believe affects how you live. And he tells them that in chapter 15. When he comes to chapter 16, he deals with the fact that they, they uh, need to become generous. 
But when you have all those kind of problems in your church, generosity is not going to be a, 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 a noticeable thing. Stinginess is going to go with carnality, materialism. But great churches and churches that are, that are like the Lord Jesus Christ are giving churches. And he had already gone to them and explained to them, I believe he probably wrote at least four books to the Corinthian people. Uh, God put two of them in our Bible. And both of the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 1 2 Thessalonians talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it ends with the words we'll see tonight, Maranatha, which means the Lord's coming. And we ought to live in anticipation of that. But the book of 1 Corinthians is a rebuke. He just bi biblically rips her face off and tells them, man, you got more problems you can shake a stick at. One of their problems was they were not a giving people. Now, he'd already challenged them, and they, when they went through, he, he told them there's a, there's a problem. The problem is at this very season, the people of Jerusalem are going through famine and lack and persecution. And I caused some of that back. Paul caused a lot of that when he first got saved, or before he got saved. Do you remember that? Things like he caused havoc in the church. He always had the burden. He made the first martyr, Stephen. He was right there holding coats of people that laid stones on him and killed him. If you look over at his little wife crying and his kids over here, they became fatherless and his wife became a, a widow. And it was his fault. He would arrest men and women without apology. He would, he would get guys fired from work. He would get, he would get families to put out their widow and, and say, you, you know, I saw your widow get baptized. She says she believes in this way. Then you can't take care of her. You've got to put her out. And boy, it caused a lot of problems in a lot of people's lives. And I think Paul carried that burden, but now he is on his uh, missionary journey, and he has uh, done his third missionary journey, I think, at this time. He finds himself in Ephesus. But uh, he, he's getting ready to go back through, and he has promoted faith promise missions for several, for several months. A year is almost by, and he's going he's gonna to come a little bit later, and that's why he'll write 2 Corinthians, and maybe Brother Sis will talk about that on Sunday, I don't know. But he has challenged them to give to this project, and he gives them instructions. He says, listen, every, every, every one of you committed to give to X amount of money, between now and next year. So every Sunday, I want you to get your money together and bring it to the church and lay it in store the way God has prospered you. I think universally throughout the Bible, from, from Abraham all the way through the end of the Bible, I think tithe, the tithe belongs to the Lord, and that's one of the reasons we, we give one penny out of every dime. And I think it's a healthy uh, a measure that God gave us training wheels to start giving. And tithing shows your honesty, but learn to give beyond the tithe. That shows your love and your gratitude and your faith. Tithing shows your faith, but boy, when you learn to give aggressively and ask God what will he give through you, you're going to find maturity is going to kick in, and you cannot give without God blessing you. Give and it shall be. That's God's promise. I didn't write that. I just recite it. And God has a plan, and that's how he uses that. But now he's talking about giving beyond the tithe, for the project of helping the, the, the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. So his mindset is that next year when I come back, I want you to have a couple guys ready. Have your money. They were in the big town. They were making the good money. This was Corinth. This was not out in the, the country bumpkins. 
The country bumpkins were the people who lived in, in Thessalonica and Berea and, and Philippi. Those were the Macedonian Christians that you'll read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that were poor and afflicted, but they were generous and joyful in spite of what they were going through. So he took the, the challenge. He said, Corinth, how much will you guys give between next year? They added all their faith, promise, commitments and said, Paul, we'll give this. He said, you're kidding me. No, now come on, tell me, is that right? Yeah, yes, when you come next year, we're going to have this. Well, he took that momentum and he went to other churches and told them, hey, the church at Corinth, you're not going to believe them. They're going to give this amount. And boy, people got excited. Well, that's in the city, but if they can give that, we can give too. And they begged him for the opportunity to participate. But now he has already told them that and he writes them this letter in chapter 16. Let's hasten if we can, please, and go through it briefly. Now, verse number 1, read it with me. Would you please, everybody together, 16.1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Okay, now you won't find this order in the, in the letter to the church of Galatia in Galatians. It's not, I don't think it's in there, but once again, he didn't just write one letter to the church in his lifetime. He probably wrote letter, other letters, but God chose to put Galatians in our Bible, and he chose to put two of the four letters, I believe, that he wrote here. He said, look, just like I told the church of Galatia, I'm telling you, now concerning the collection for the saints, it's getting ready to come to you. I'll be there in a few months. But I want, I want you to remind you about that. Verse number 2, let's look at it and read it together. Have all the men read verse number 2. You ready, men? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. He said, on the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday. Now, years ago, uh, before Jesus came, the Jewish, they, they made the Sabbath day, the Saturday. After the resurrection of Christ... The disciples begin to meet. They saw the resurrected Christ on the first day of the week. And when they saw him and he appeared to them, it was on the first day of the week. And then we see that history throughout in Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. You'll find upon the first day of the week. And here, he said, when you guys assemble, Christians assemble. And I know we have some precious Seventh-day Adventist friends that think that we're the mark of the beast because we meet on Sunday. But just don't think it's true, okay? But nonetheless, uh, on the first day of the week, everybody lay by in store. That means bring it to the storehouse, bring it to church, as God has prospered you. That when I come, there's no gatherings. I don't want to be in a scurry. When I show up, I don't want to say, hey, man, you didn't pay up that. I owe this. Oh, you know, we got to collect all this. He said, you said you're going to give this, and the way you'll do it is by giving systematically. Help me with this statement. Those who give systematically give more. One more time. Those who give systematically give more substantially. You give something, and this is God's way. So look, so regarding the collection that we're going to take, when I get there, every one of you right now keep laying by in store on the first day of the week as God has prospered you. Now, it's not equal giving, but it could be equal sacrifice. A guy who makes $41 an hour is not going to give the same amount as somebody who makes $8 an hour. Somebody who is directing a company and, and gets a much more handsome salary will not give to the same, but all of us can participate. And I think every one of us are supposed to. Look at verse number 3, if you would, please. And when I come, whomsoever he, ye shall approve in your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality to Jerusalem. He said, he says, when I come, then you guys have a guy ready to come with you 
and come with me, and you approve him. You decide who, which of the deacons, which one of the men, which one of the assistant pastors, which one of the guys you want to come, and whoever you decide, you, you bring with me. I want there to be honesty in this, and you keep the money. You bring your guy. And by the way, one of the things the Apostle Paul was very scrupulous about is, is honesty. He said, providing things honest in the sight of God. And so that, one of the, that, that verse is in context to collecting offerings. He said, let's be above reproach. We'll keep it honest. Let's do that. Look at verse number four, if you would, please. And if I meet, and if it, if it be meet that I go also, if I can go or I can meet you, they shall go with me. If I can't get there, then they'll meet me someplace. Verse number five. Now I will come unto you, and when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. Because I'm going to come. I'm not going to come to you first. I'm going to go through Macedonia. It might be, verse 6, that it might be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring on my journey, whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, said I, I'm not, I'm not going to stop by Corinth on this trip. When I come across the Aegean Sea, I'm not going to come see you. I'm going to go up to Macedonia first, and I'm going to get those country pastors and those poor, more afflicted men to come with me first, and then we're going to come to you. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, you'll see that Paul was really nervous. He was nervous that he was going to come and show up at Corinth, and he had bragged about them and boasted about what they committed. And he was going to bring all these sacrificial saints from Macedonia and these pastors and men and deacons from that church, and they had given out of their poverty. And then find out that Corinth, the big city church, wasn't ready. He goes, I'm a little nervous about that, that I, I'm going to be embarrassed. Not you. You may not be embarrassed, but I will be embarrassed because I used you as incentive and challenge to their hearts. Look, if you would please, in the next one, verse number 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus. That's where he was when he wrote the book until Pentecost. That's a very major, one of the, the three major feasts that the Jewish uh, Christians went to every year and the men would go to. Verse number 9, read this with me, would you please, out loud. Are you ready? For a great door, but there are many adversaries. Let me just say to you, friend, and, and just remind, this is something that any missionary could say. But he was in, in, in Ephesus. And by the way, the Ephesus, there was a great opportunities there. It wasn't easy, though. It wasn't challenging. It was challenging. That's in modern-day Turkey today. When he went to Ephesus, boy, he had some big problems there. But he stayed there longer than he stayed any place else, to my knowledge, in his missionary travel. He stayed there for three whole years. He taught in the school of Tyrannus, and he began to make multiple pastors. There was where he was most productive, probably, in training and being able to get them. And matter of fact, when he came back on that, on that missionary journey to go to Jerusalem, he had them meet him on the shores of Miletus. And that's where he gave them that charge to say, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I showed you publicly in house to house. And uh, he told them what he was going to do. And that's where he told them those last swan song words, if you would. He said, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. He told them it's more blessed to give than to receive from the Lord Jesus in that. And that is in that discourse that he did that. Well, uh, this, he was there. And he says, look, there's a great door open. What do you think he's talking about, a great door? Something he saw. He saw opportunities for people. Some people, every time they see an opportunity, they see an obstacle. <laughs> every time they see a hard case, oh, this guy, I don't, he'll, ever, he'll never get saved. She will never. And some people see an opportunity. In every obstacle, there's an opportunity. And boy, some people, in every opportunity, they see an obstacle. 
He says, there's a great door, but there are many, what? There are, there are opponents to the gospel work. And he is making that very clear. Verse number 10. Now, Timotheus, if Timotheus come and see that he will be with you without fear. One thing I believe Timothy had a struggle with, and that was he was insecure. Maybe it was because he had a Grecian dad. Maybe it was because he had a very strong mom, Eunice, or a strong mother, Lois. But um, he was the one who Paul said, God is not giving you the spirit of fear. He told him that. He also told him, he said, neglect not the gift that is in you. You're not using your gift. Why wasn't he using his gift of leadership? Probably because he was afraid. <laughs> he said, look, I'm sending Timothy. He's young, but let him come to you on my behalf, and don't make him afraid. Don't talk down to him. And, of course, are we talking to a carnal church or a spiritual church at this time? It's a carnal church. He said, look, I'm send Timothy's coming. When he comes, don't give him a hard time. Don't look down on him. Don't despise his youth. He's going to be a good example to you. Look, if you would please, in the next one, verse number, verse number 10, the last part, and he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Verse 11, let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace. Don't despise his youth. Don't look down upon him, but be peaceful with him, that he may come unto me, for I look for him and with the brethren. Verse number 12, read that with me, would you please? As touching our brother Apollos, to come unto you with the brethren this time. Now, Apollos, they referenced him. Some of the people, Paul, Apollos had preached in the church at Corinth. Now, initially, he preached there with only the understanding of, of uh, John the Baptist. He didn't even know that Jesus had been resurrected. He didn't know the full gospel had come. So he just knew a little bit. Now, he was born in Alexandria. It looks like Alexandria, Egypt, I'm assuming. But uh, he was very eloquent. He was very entertained to listen to. And, and he had preached there. Matter of fact, some people say in chapter 1, some place, well, I'm with Paul, and I'm with Paul, and, uh, or chapter 3, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas or Peter. Okay, they were arguing over who they wanted to hear. He had preached there, but he was somewhere else, and he was in Ephesus. He said, hey, Paul said, Apollos, would you go back and... And, and preached in Ephesus, and he said, I ain't touching Ephesus. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going back to Corinth for no, that, those people are a bunch of babies. It was not at all. He said, I really want you to go back and help me. I'm not going to go back there. Those people are a bunch of, they're carnal, they're wicked. I don't, I don't want to go. He said, I'll come another time. Maybe another time I'll go. Paul was trying to get him to go back over to help him, and he said, I'm, it's, he said, I'm not going over there. It's interesting here, you know, this, this guy, this guy, Apollos, and he was used of the Lord. And by, the way, by the way, who helped him understand the full gospel? Who was it? Yeah, Aquila and Priscilla, laymen, tent makers. When they saw that he, he was very eloquent, use of God, and he was passionate, but he, didn't, he had zeal without knowledge, they set him down. Two laymen taught this great preacher that was used of God. But he said, I, I'm not going to Corinth. He goes, I, I, don't, I may go another time. I want you to conclude. Let's look at this next part of the, of, the, of the chapter. Can we please? Verse number 13. He gives the imperatives or the, the challenges. What's the first two words there in your Bible? Verse number 13. Read it out loud with me. What does it say? Watch ye. And I think it, it, you need to be sober. 
and understand what's going on around you. He said, I want you to watch, and watch ye. What is, what is the yeast referred to? Watch yourself. You know, one of the most wonderful words you can ever say in the English language is shut up. But you've got to say it to yourself, okay, not to anybody else. How many need to say that to yourself occasionally? Right there, yeah. Boys and girls, that's not really true. Pastor's just messing around there with your mom and dad. But boy, before we open our big mouth, we need to say to ourselves, all right, John, do you need to say that? Why don't you just be quiet? Just because you think something doesn't need what you need to say. Someone gave a little thought about uh, think, T-H-I-N-K. Before you say something, think, is it truthful? H, is it helpful? I, would it inspire or help somebody? N, do I really need to say it? And K, can I say it in kindness? Can I say it in grace? Be a good idea for us to do it. He said, but watch ye. Be, be careful. Look at the next thing for what it says here. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men, be strong. Just great challenges. Stand fast faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us finished all the way? <laughs> all of us were standing. You know, one of the things we'll find in the Bible, and Apostle Paul definitely themed on that, and that is he wants us to stand. Why do you put on the whole armor of God? And stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. He said, look, watch yourself, stand fast like men, and be strong. Reach down deep and do what God wants you to do. I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, well, I just can't do it. I just, I just I don't have any more strength. And I, I text back, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through which, yeah, which strengthens me. And that, that verse tells me that I can do anything I'm supposed to do. If I'm supposed to forgive someone, guess what I can do? I can forgive them. If I'm supposed to go on through difficult and challenges, I can do whatever God wants me to do. If, I've got to, if, I, if I'm looking down the barrel of death, I can do whatever God wants me to do. Um, the, whatever the situation, God can strengthen. Stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. Look, if you would please, at the next one, verse 14. Let's all read that together. You ready? Ladies, how about reading verse 14? Ready, girls? Let all... What do you think that means? Let all your things be done with... Love. Love should bleed through everything you do. Why should you make food for the, uh, for the missionary, uh, the, uh, the dinners on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Because you love the Lord. That's right. Why do we give? We give because we love. Why do we serve on the bus route? Where really, it might, duty might bring you, but let love keep you. Why do you go soul winning? Why do you give out a gospel tract? Because of love. Love for the Lord first and foremost. Foremost. Look at the next one, if you would, please. Let everything be done with love. We ought to do a checkup and make sure that's the case. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. He said, you guys know Stephanus. He's the one of the first people that got saved. You can check that out in chapter 1. And he's one of the only people that Apostle Paul baptized. He baptized him and I think one or two other people in their homes. And they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Well, it's a great testimony about Stephanus. I believe we have some people in this church that have, they've assigned themselves, addicted, another word for that is to assign. They just got to do it. I've, I have had the opportunity to work with people who struggle with addiction, and it's tough. It's really tough. But boy, when, when these folks were addicted to ministry, they were addicted to helping people. He said the whole house, all of them, 
the house of Stephanus, not just Mr. Stephanus, not just Ms. Stephanus, everybody seems like those people are all involved in helping people. They're addicted to the ministry of the saints. Look at the next verse, verse 16. And if you find people like this, he says, submit yourselves unto such. And to everyone that helpeth with us and labor, if they, it was, uh, the ministry was obvious, it was plural, it was, they were the first fruits that got saved, and they still stayed faithful for a long time. Verse 17, I am glad at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Why? For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Well, I tell you what, that is one of the more convicting verses in the Bible to me, because it tells us here that he says, I'm really glad that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus came to visit me here in Ephesus. He said, no other, the church, remember what, what was the church that learned to give first in Macedonia? Remember what, what the name of that church was? Philippi. Remember, no other church uh, gave like they did. But this church of Corinth, of course, they, they had more means to give, but they just, they didn't give. They weren't giving people. But he said, it looks like to me that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, they not only came and gave physical substance, but they gave encouragement to Paul. He said, that which was lacking on your part. He said, all the news I heard about you and that division and that the, the Lord's Supper stuff and the sues and the immorality and all the challenges, oh, that discouraged me. But it was really good to get them because that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. And I just remind you, friends, sometimes you do a little bit more than other people do. We're not good to compare ourselves among ourselves. But sometimes you do a little bit more than other people do because you can. And because you might have to, most of us, you girls, if you don't do it now, I hope you'll consider working in the nursery one day if that's something God wants you to do. But some of these girls right now that work in the nursery, they work in the nursery four or five times more than they should in a month's time. You know why they do that? For people who could watch one time and don't. Some guys, they have, to, they have to drive bus because people who could drive, they just don't. That which is lacking on their part, these guys have supplied. Sometimes a local church is like a, a Notre Dame football game. It's 80,000 people who need exercise watching 22 guys who need a break. <laughs> Sometimes it's, a, it's just a small group of people that just seem like they're at the prayer meetings. You don't go, but they go. They're at Saturday soul winning. You're not. They write the notes to the pastors, but you don't. Sometimes people have to write two notes to the pastors to take care of somebody who could write a note, but they don't. And it's just, it's just and I don't like this particular concept, but it, mature people get it. Mature people understand, all right, sometimes I have to do a little bit more for Christ's sake and the gospel for a few people who could do it, but they just keep saying no. When it comes to the world evangelism, I think there's just three options. You go... You sow or you say no. Some people are really good at saying no. No, 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 no. And you know what? It's between you and the Lord. But boy, I tell you what, I would rather be Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus than the other clowns back in, in Corinth. I'd really, I just read, I'm kind of glad God put those three names. He goes, you know, that which is lacking on your part, these guys have really brought emotional, spiritual service and encouragement to me, and I'm thankful for that. I'd like to be a church. I'd like to be a pastor. I'd like to be a family. That, that it's okay. We may have to do a little bit more for other people who are just not ready to do it right yet. And there'll be some growth that will take place. I've lived long enough to watch churches and watch people that there's the people that kind of catch fire as, as it goes. Lights comes on. Things happen. 
things happen to us or things happen to them. And they say, you know what? I need to quit messing around and get, get involved. I need to quit being someone that saps energy out of things and put energy into something. I need to quit being a part of the problem, be a part of the solution. I think these are things that mature Christians do, but this was not a mature church. But there were at least three members that were mature, and God names them. And it's been read for over 1,900 years now. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Let's conclude the chapter if we can, please. I'll just read. Look what they did. Verse 18, read it with me. For they have refreshed my spirit, and therefore acknowledge ye them, and are such. He goes, these guys are refreshing, and they'll be rewarded. Verse 19, a few personal greetings. The churches of Asia salute you. He said, these churches I have see here in Asia Minor and Turkey, they all say hello to you. Aquila and Priscilla, they were one of the first people that started the church at uh, Corinth, but now they live in Ephesus. They salute you in the Lord with the church that is in their house. They have a house church in their place here in Ephesus. Now verse number 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. It was a greeting in that time, and I'm glad we get the handshake now. 21, salutations of me, Paul, with my own hand. Of course, at the end of it, he most likely dictated this because he had some problems with his eye. But on the end of every one of his letters, he would personally sign it. And remember why he learned that. One of the reasons he did that is because in Thessalonica, there was a forged letter that came that said the resurrection already come and said it was from him. And he would make sure he would write it with his own hand so that they would know this is mine, this is authentic. Let's continue real quickly. Verse number 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That's, let him be accursed. And then he says, Maranatha, may the Lord come. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He says, if somebody doesn't really love God and they have animosity toward him, they're a uh, they are, they are, uh, they are uh, unreasonable and wicked men. Let God deal with them. But for those of us who love the Lord, Maranatha. I think Maranatha was probably a common greeting when they saw people. The Lord come. May the Lord come. And by the way, do you think we ought to live in, in anticipation of the coming of the Lord? I think so. Look at the next. The Bible tells us, verse 23, let's all conclude together, can we? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Very good.